This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Because life's just better with a book. Welcome to The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. It's the Misfits episode of the podcast. We look at two very different books that address the issue of bullying and how society deals with outsiders. The Rosier Result by Graham Simpson is the newest and final instalment in the Rosie Project trilogy. And we're also taking a look at Stephen King's first ever published novel from more than 40 years ago. It's 1974's Carrie, also about a bullied misfit, but with a very different outcome. I also picked up Stephen King's handbook on creativity. It's called On Writing. And since the musical of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory has been wowing Aussie audiences, we'll discuss our favourite Roald Dow books from childhood. But first, let's hear from The Rosie Result by Graeme Simsian. Compiling a detailed list of goals and activities for Hudson proved more difficult than I expected. If I knew then what I know now had prompted thoughts of social rituals and physical competencies, but few specifics. We made a good start on physical skills with the bike riding. Next in importance was ball catching, which Rabbit had mentioned specifically. I was well qualified to teach it, having overcome a severe deficit of natural ability. Appropriate dress was important. Even with a school uniform, there were subtle differences in deployments that Hudson needed to know, unless he wanted to be the class clown. Being the class clown provided some protection and positive interaction, but it was not as good as being accepted in the normal way. In any case, that position was apparently already filled in Hudson's class. I would need to keep up the mathematics tuition, which I had incorporated into our dinner routine. Mathematics is excellent training for rational thinking, arguably life's most important skill. What else? Times have changed. My knowledge of basics and transmitters and how to fix a broken cassette tape was obsolete. Motor vehicles and electronic appliances were too complex or inaccessible or uneconomic for amateur repairers. Hudson would never need to read a street directory or roll a cigarette. I checked my notes from the discussion with Rabbit Warren and added team sports, tact, playing in a group and dealing with anger and conflict. That's Graham Simsian in The Rosie Result. If you loved the exports of the socially challenged Don Tillman and his beloved Rosie Jarman in The Rosie Project and The Rosie Effect, you'll be excited to get your hands on the newest book in the series. In this adventure, the scientifically-minded Don has reproduced with his beloved Rosie and now he has to deal with everything that parenthood throws at him. Hey, Natasha. Hi, Katrina. Welcome. Thanks. Now, for those who haven't read the series yet, tell us about the two main characters, Don Tillman and Rosie Jarman. So, I mean, I hope everyone has read the first book, The Rosie Project. (laughs) This is like when I recommend books to people when they say, oh, you know, I'm not really, I don't really like novels that much and what would you suggest I read? The Rosie Project is my go-to book and I have an almost 100% success rate with it because people love this book. It's really fun. And it's told by, so Don is, um, when The Rosie Project starts, he's in his late 30s, he's a genetics professor um, at a university in Melbourne um, and he's clearly on the spectrum um but you know he's not completely self-aware about that he's not diagnosed or anything um but you know he approaches life with a very uh calculated problem solving rational 
um, approach. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first book has him deciding that, well, you know, he doesn't do social cues or social interaction very well, but he does have a desire for intimacy and he would like um, a wife. And so, of course, he proceeds in a very scientific manner. With the wife to, project. Yes, <laughs> the wife project. Um, and Rosie, of course, um, doesn't fit his idea of a compatible woman at all. Um, but, oh, look, love is not scientific. And, you know. <laughs> but that book is, you know, full of these kind of crazy adventures and all these things that, you know, are nearly a disaster but turn out kind of amazing because Don and Rosie are such fun characters. Yeah, and it's a funny story as well, it isn't is. it? So how's Don handling parenting? Well, we've actually, it's about 11 years. So Hudson, their son, is 11 when the new novel begins. Um, they've been living in New York and they moved back to Melbourne. Um, for a job that Rosie has gotten. Um, And their son uh, is struggling at school. Um, He is really good at maths. He's not very sporty. He has trouble making friends. He doesn't deal well with change. Basically, there are all these kind of flags for possible autism. Um, And so they keep kind of getting called by the school and being like, there's been this incident and... um, Don has to try and figure out because he looks at Hudson and he sees a lot of the things that he struggled with as a child um, Mm. and as a teenager and he really wants to help his son to navigate this world that he spent decades trying to figure out how to navigate and he doesn't want to kind of put his own personality and his own, um, you know, uh, way of seeing things onto his son but also he has been doing this for a long time and so it's kind of them figuring that out um, I mean Graham Simpson in terms of the inspiration for this novel he said that people kept asking him from a, for a prequel of what Don was like when he was a kid oh but he was like actually I didn't want to do that because that would be in the 80s and there isn't as much kind of um, discussion of autism and what that means he was like how would that play out now with the kind of awareness and the school you know being like oh we embrace diversity but how well they actually deal with kids being different kids who don't fit the normal mold and you know some of the kind of politically correct discourse around that. Okay, so when Hudson is getting bullied at school, how does Don want to deal with that? Well, he's kind of, he's dealing with this on both ends in that, you know, they've moved back to Melbourne and his own father is dying of cancer. Um, And he's looking at Hudson and he's reflecting on his own childhood and how the way that his parents dealt with him are not necessarily the ways that he wants to come across to Hudson. And yet, like most parents that he finds himself reproducing things that his parents do and didn't work or that he thinks didn't work. Um, And so he's got that kind of complication of like, well, what would I have wanted? What would have actually worked? Um, And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a big question of the novel is like, well, what is it to fit in and how much do we want that? How much should people change if they're not, you know, if they don't follow the usual rules of social interaction, is that fine? Um, is it important to be able to function on those kinds of planes? Or um, actually, can we genuinely embrace people being different and being interested in different things and not kind of ticking all the boxes? Mm, I just, yeah, interesting questions. Um, so how has Don and Rosie's relationship changed since having a child? 
Well, that's kind of one of the joys of this novel, actually, I think. There was some, you know, the drama of them kind of constantly misunderstanding each other and crossed wires in the first novel. And then in the second novel, um, The Rosie Effect, Rosie is pregnant um, and their marriage nearly breaks down because of how they miscommunicate at that point. And now, you know, kind of 12 years on, you kind of feel like it's not perfect, the marriage isn't perfect, but they've kind of figured out how to talk to each other, how to understand one another, what the kind of rules need to be. Um, You know, Don, even though he's never going to be like naturally intuitive about people's feelings, he's kind of got enough experience and he's enough of a scientist that he's like, okay, I know how Rosie will react to this maybe and what she wants from me. And so, So he's learnt. That's good. He has. Yeah. That's encouraging. And does it recreate some of the humour of the Rosie Project? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Definitely the humour. You know, he has some of the same kind of um, prose ticks are there. So things like, um, you know, the way that Don says correct to everything mm. or um, how he can't help estimating people's BMIs mm. when he, you know, meets new people. Uh, but also a lot of the zaniness is there. So, you know, it's a realistic novel in that these are the kinds of things that go on in primary schools and like school politics and and also the politics of their jobs. Rosie's, you know, a woman and a working mother and trying to head up this project where she's kind of being sidelined as a mom and um, Don's in trouble at his university for um, saying some things that get taken as culturally, racially insensitive. Um, so there's sort of these different issues going on there but instead of um you know dealing with that in a kind of plodding realistic way because everyone in this family is a bit exceptional and because don is a kind of think outside the box person the solutions to all of this are a bit kind of out there okay um and funny and just quite unusual and so you have these kind of adventures that happen to them and um and i think one of the real strengths of the book is that it's just not predictable. Well, that sounds great. So for those who have read the other two books, does this one provide like a satisfactory wrap up to the series? It really does. I loved the first one. The second book I enjoyed, but not as much as the first. And so with this one, I was like, oh, you know, it's not going to be like the Rosie Project, but actually it really is. I feel like it's a real return to form. Um, And It kind of, as well as introducing all this new stuff with Hudson, with the son and things that are going on in Rosie's career, there's a real kind of character arc for Don that's quite, it lands somewhere that really draws on everything that's happened in the other two books and goes, okay, we're we're happy with where this family is at. And he's changed a lot and, and also has not changed a lot. Yeah. In, in a good way. Oh, yeah. that sounds, yeah, I, I like the sound of that. I'm actually going to be interviewing Graham Simpson. Oh, lucky you. So I'm excited about that as well. So, yes. Well, now we're heading back to the 70s with Stephen King's breakout novel, Carrie. Stephen King is a household name, but maybe uh, many of us haven't read his books because so many of them are horror stories. It's certainly the case for me. Um, how about you, Natasha? Have you read any other Stephen King books when you picked this one up? This was my first novel of his. So I'd kind of, I mean, I'm like you, I don't really read horror, partly because I don't watch horror 
I, I can't really handle I think I like horror movies and then one starts and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Why am I doing this? This makes me miserable. Um, and so I kind of thought I couldn't read horror either. I kind of thought of it as the same thing. Right. Um, but people who I trust and who had a good case had told me, you really should read Stephen King. He's amazing. And I was like, well, I don't know how because I don't do horror. Um, and I actually read his book, on writing, which is kind of, you know, about his writing and how he does it and about his life and stuff. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed his writing. And he also talked about writing this novel, Carrie. Yes. And I was like, well, and about writing many of his novels, but this being his breakout one, which he wrote, you know, he was living in a trailer with his wife and two kids and he was an English teacher and they were struggling to make ends meet and he, you know, um, like throughout the first draft was like, eh, this isn't going anywhere. Before and, you go any further, Natasha, yeah. this is on writing is the book that I have been reading and I'm going to review there shortly. There you go. So, <laughs> the so Stephen King yes, book Stephen for King. people who don't want to read horror books. <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. But I found his account of writing it so compelling that I was like, okay, oh, yes. okay, I have to go read this book. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised. Good. So tell us about Carrie. Who is she? What does she want? Yeah, so the, the character who's become this kind of iconic character, there's been a couple of movies, there's even been in a Broadway musical, I think. Um, so Carrie White is a teenager. Um, she's 16 when the novel starts um, and she is miserable at high school. So, you know, so far so standard. Mm, pretty typical, um, yeah. But Carrie has telekinetic powers. Wow. That's so unusual. she can, you know, move things with her mind um, and sort of doesn't really know it. She also has a crazy mother who is – um, an extreme religious fundamentalist and who uses that as a kind of abusive like weapon against her daughter. So they have this kind of very dysfunctional relationship. She's relentlessly and has been for her entire school career. She's been bullied and um, made fun of and just, you know, she's awkward and she doesn't know anything about life and, and she's angry. Mm. And what happens is, you know, there's a, a very famous scene at the start of the novel where she is in the locker room with all the other teenage girls um, after sports lesson, they're showering, she gets her period, it's the first time um, and she doesn't know what's happening because her mother has never told her anything about sex or menstruation um, and so she freaks out and everyone kind of gangs up on her. Very brave for a man to write that. Well, this is the thing because when he started writing the the plan for this novel and threw it out and his wife fished it out of the bin and was like, no, 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 you have to keep going with this. He was like, I don't think I can write a teenage girl. I don't know anything about being a teenage girl. And she was like, I'll help with that. And so, you know, like it's not a perfect novel and in terms of point of view and stuff, but it's very, it's believable, the kind of um, her point of view and just all the humiliation and the other girls as well, the ones who make fun of her who are awful, the ones who make fun of her who feel bad about it. Um, and so as the novel progresses, it's clear that there's been kind of a shift for Carrie um, potentially to do with getting her period and, you know, um, womanhood and um, actually she has this enormous power that she doesn't know what to do with. I, I'm feeling a sense of I am woman, hear me roar. Like- well, I was feeling a sense of um, the power, you know, the novel oh, yes. from a couple of Where years ago. Where they've got electricity yeah, coming out of their hands. Yeah, women develop, yeah, can, 
give exactly. electric shocks. So, yeah. you know, because it is kind of, Stephen King has said since that it's sort of retrospectively, it is kind of about feminism and women channeling their power in different ways and that sort of thing. Did you pick that up just no. reading it? You didn't. I okay. No, I mean, because the thing is that, like, he's a master storyteller. So what you're in is the story. Um, it doesn't go off into philosophical yeah. um, tangents. It's it's a well-written, compelling story and you care a lot about what's happening. And it's also told in a really interesting way in that it's partly just narration um, and partly from Carrie's point of view, but it's also like police reports and um, memoirs and, you know, journalists writing about oh. it and because, you know, there's we're building towards a terrible, dramatic like town wiping out event at the end of the novel. So the whole thing is building to that. Wow. When he wrote this book, Stephen King had written four other novels, but this was the first to get published. So why do you think that this book was the breakthrough story for Stephen King? Like what's so special about it? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, these things are sort of a bit arbitrary, right? And when it was initially published... Um, it didn't take off straight away. Like he kind of got a $2,500 um, advance and then, you know, it sold maybe 13,000 copies or something. And then a publisher picked it up, um, the paperback rights, for $400,000. <laughs> oh, wow. And, uh, you know, they made it like a movie of it and everything. And so it's this joint, which is unheard of, for, you know, at the time and for a first time author and so it's this very dramatic event for him that he's living in this trailer and the family's very um struggling and then suddenly they have all this money and he can be a writer and so it's quite a dramatic change um I think partly it's so recognizable in terms of the trauma of high school Mm. and yet so horrific in terms of what happens to her and through her um, and it's also kind of a revenge story, I guess. She just kind of lets loose and lets mm. everyone have it. And even though that is horrifying, there's also something, you know, burn it all down satisfying about that. I don't mm. know if I should say that on radio, but that's kind of the thrust of the story. Yeah, wow. I mean, as I said, I've never really read a horror book. Would you recommend this to other people who wouldn't normally read a horror book? I think I would. I mean, you know, give it a go. Like if you can't handle it, well, now you know that you can't read horror either. (laughs) But to me, it doesn't have the same. It is horrific, but it doesn't have the same kind of when you're watching a movie, something about it being visual and you being trapped in it is just different to when you're reading the So novel. you didn't find it traumatic in the way that watching a, a horror film Not in the can same burn way. into your brain no. sort of thing. So, and because I, I think horror is really interesting as a genre and I think there are lots of really interesting horror movies being made at the moment that I'm like, oh, but I can't see them because I can't do horror. Hmm. Um, so when it's a horror novel, I'm a bit like, okay, well, horror has really interesting things to say about the world and about society um, and I can, I think, read horror novels, which and I'm it- pleased about. Good. And and it's interesting psychologically too, thinking about why do we want to see mm. this? And I just go back to the point, it must somehow make us feel safe when really terrible things are happening to someone else. There must be some part of us that goes, I'm here safe, tucked up in bed or in my lounge room. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Definitely. It just, it and it's pushing me. things to extremes and going, okay, what, what are the logical mm. consequences if we really dial this up? And mm. that's interesting to watch unfold. 
Okay. Interestingly, Natasha, I've also been reading Stephen King. So yes. my pick was on writing. A work colleague gave it to me uh, for my birthday last year. And I've had this book recommended to me more times than I can count. It gets mentioned at nearly every like conference I go to as a recommended read. And I have to say now I know why. It is really uh, great reading, I think, for anyone who wants to be a writer, particularly a novelist, but also maybe anyone who has to write at work or anyone who wants to pursue a creative field. Because it, it, while it is mostly about the craft of writing, I feel there's a lot in it that you could apply to other creative processes like songwriting or art or filmmaking or whatever um and you learn a lot about the crafting of stories and like the discipline and the endurance that you need to pursue yeah he works hard right really hard yeah um and his personal struggles as well like you mentioned living in a trailer you know because i think he's riding out of a laundry in a trailer park and, and so many of us might think oh well once i've got my career settled or once i buy a house uh you know then i'll get serious but after you read this book you're like oh i really don't have an excuse <laughs> um yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean, his an accident that he had later on oh, as well. And... Yes, because he gets really badly injured in a car accident and you realise how that just totally – it's really difficult for him to recover from that. And, yeah, so there's a lot of empathy there. But having said all of that, while I love the book, I was felt really inspired after I read it. And I thought, now I'm going to make writing a really high priority. I'm going to schedule more time. I'm going to be really productive. I genuinely thought I would be up at 5 a.m. every day typing away. And? I haven't been able to make it happen, not oh. even once. Not once. <laughs> oh, no. So, you know, and I think it's because even though it's really inspiring, like really I think so much of I'm speaking personally, my life is dominated by the emails, the text messages, the apps and all this stuff I have to trawl through just to manage a family. Yeah. And sadly, reading on writing has not taken any of that <laughs> stuff away. But I did find it really affirming because his um, method of how he writes is really close to mine in that. Really? Yeah, he starts with the situation. He makes sure he knows his characters and then he just sees where it plays out. Yeah, And so that for me was really affirming because I'm not someone who wants to plot and plan every single thing. So Um, is this only for writers? I guess if you have zero interest in writing... Or books. It's probably not. Or Stephen King. Or Stephen King. It's probably not the one for you to read. But even, I'll put in a caveat that he writes so well, he's so good at telling a story, that I actually think it's pretty interesting, even for someone who has no intention of ever writing anything. But if you are someone who thinks that maybe you've got a book inside you, or maybe you could improve your writing to do better in your workplace, then... I would highly recommend it. And, and it's I, a really easy read. It's easy to read. It's short. It's enjoyable. And you get to know him personally. And that's kind of cool. It's like you've been hanging out with a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> Which we all want to do. <laughs> yeah. I have to say I'm grateful that he took the time to share his yeah. wisdom with me mortals because there's nothing in it for him. You know, like he can. Well, I think he probably made some money off that book, to be fair. But he wouldn't have known that it would make money. I think it's... He's Stephen King. <laughs> I'm sure he did make lots of money. But I feel like there is some genuine warmth and yeah. and kind of helpfulness in his intention of writing it, which I also really appreciated. So before we finish, Natasha, I went to see... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, you did? How was it? It was so great. Oh, my goodness. Again, really inspiring. Yeah. It made me think so much about what makes a fantastic, enduring story and the wonderful characters. I just loved everything about it. Mm. Um, And so I thought to go out 
Natasha, what's your favourite Roald Dahl book from childhood? Oh, tricky. Um, <laughs> Very tricky. Because can I can I have two? Yeah, well, share your split. reasoning. Yeah, us, yeah, yeah. So I think that The Witches is just an amazing, perfect novel probably. Oh, um, I can't remember that one. But also I remember it being so terrifying and the movie is so terrifying as well. Um, and so I like I loved it as a kid but also – it was it was horrifying. Um, so there's that horror theme again. I know, talking about right? Stephen King. Yeah. yeah, it's probably I should trace the psychological roots of this back to childhood and probably Roald Dahl. Um, so I think the safer bet is probably Matilda oh, because who doesn't love Matilda? Oh, Matilda, especially so if great. You are and a book although lover. it's very like Carrie, isn't it? That she, mm-hmm. you know, is kind oh, of treated yeah, badly and she can move things and yes. she kind of has her revenge, which in a much more benign way than Carrie, but. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Lots of links there. Yeah. How about you? Well, for someone who was brought up by a mother who loved the nonsense songs of Edward Lear. Oh, yes. Are you seeing the connection? (laughs) I can't go past the BFG. I love Mm. the playfulness of the language. Um, For those who haven't read it, the BFG speaks a bit of gobble funk, I think he calls it. So sometimes he blends words together like um, scrumdiddlyumptious which is a word that's kind of come into common usage. <laughs> Sometimes he muddles up his words like snapper whipper or catastrophe disastrophe. <laughs> and then there are just made up words like fizz whistling. And it's, um, I guess now as a mother, I got so much joy from reading this out loud. And that's probably what makes the BFG my favourite. It is a lot of fun. Mm. Well, Thanks, Natasha. It's been great catching up, talking books once again. Thank you. And you have been listening to the Hope Book Club podcast with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. In this episode, we reviewed The Rosie Result by Graeme Simpson, Carrie and On Writing by Stephen King. And we would love to hear any of your thoughts or feedback. Email bookclub at hopemedia.com.au. And once again, thanks for listening to the Hope Book Club because life's just better with a book. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.